Cool. Thank you, Cliff. Like last, last week, we took a little pause in 2 Kings, and um, we're going to do it again this week. Um, and we'll, we'll fin- we are going to finish up 2 Kings in December and end of November. We're almost done. But the re- what I wanted to do this morning, though, is just because it is all over the news. It's all over the headlines. There's so much discussion. Um, and argument, right, and controversy about Israel. And unlike so many other international things, Israel's a little bit different because not only does the media have a lot to say about Israel, but the Bible and God has a lot to say about Israel. And so it's, it's not the same as, say, you know, the Ukraine war against Russia. There's another element to this. And so what I wanted to talk about is the role of Israel not back in the Old Testament, the role of Israel not back in the first century, but in the last of the last days. Actually, what's ahead of us. And so there's a a little verse here. Joel chapter 2, verse 30 to 32. I think, you know, maybe some of you have read this before. Um, Peter actually quotes this in the first sermon in the book of Acts, in Acts 2. And it says, But I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Now, if I cut my finger and it bleeds, that is not a sign and a wonder. But, if I turn in, with the power of God, turn water into blood, that is a sign and a wonder. If I light a match, right, and start a little campfire, that is not a sign or a wonder, but a fire falls from the sky and lands on the exact spot I say, that is a sign or a wonder. If I have a little campfire and there's smoke, that's just... But if smoke appears inside of a building and there's no fire, that's a miracle, right? Blood and fire and columns of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And you have to, when when the Bible talks about the return of Jesus, it's, There isn't a single verse in the Bible that talks about the return of Jesus being hidden, secret, and nobody knows about it. It's always loud, trumpet calls, angelic cries, the voice of an archangel, and it's visible. It talks about fire, angels, like lightning. But when Jesus appears in the sky with the fire and the lightning and the angelic armies, the backdrop is absolute darkness. The sun has gone dark. 
That's not something someone's going to miss and wonder if he came or not. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So this passage, um, it says, it, it has this phrase, the day of the Lord. And you're going to find that phrase all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's not necessarily a 24-hour period, right? It's, it's, it's just an event. It's, it's, it's this moment called the day of the Lord. And it refers to the day of God's judgment and wrath. And, and, what, and God's judgment, his activity of judgment, flows out of his attribute of justice. And what is justice? Justice is giving someone the consequence of their choice. If I go and steal a bunch of diamonds out of a jewelry store, you might say, well, the consequence of that choice is you become rich. But the real consequence is I go to jail. It's the, when I make a decision to steal, the consequence is jail of my decision, right? It's giving people what they deserve. And almost every time the day of the Lord is mentioned, justice is mentioned. One example, Obadiah chapter 1 verse 15 for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. That is the biblical definition of justice. Your deeds shall return on your own head. The biblical definition of justice. So Joel prophesies that one of the judgments is blood. So what's going to happen in the end times is God again and his prophetic church will be involved in this is going to turn water to blood, literally. Just as he did in the days of the exodus from Egypt. And not only are we told it's going to happen in the book of Revelation, we are told why it's going to happen. Revelation chapter 16, verse 5 and 6. Just are you, O holy one. That's self-explanatory, right? An attribute of justice. Who is and who was. So it means you are always just. Not just sometimes. For you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets... And you have given them blood to drink. Here it is. It is what they what? Deserve. But in this little passage in Joel, the same Lord who judges is also the same Lord who saves. Because he doesn't just have the attribute of justice. He also has the attribute of love. 
And God's attributes are not in contradiction to each other. Both attributes were fully fulfilled on the cross. Full judgment and full salvation. Right? And so in Joel 2.32, it says, everyone, everybody say everyone. Who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now that verse is true all the time. But it is most true at the end of the age. And here's what I mean by that. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, and verses 13 to 14. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. That's a lot of people. From, everybody say every. Every nation. Ethnos. And ethnos is a, is a, ethnos. An ethnic group, a particular language group, a group with a particular ancestry from all tribes. So a, a nation is not a, geo, a geographic political nation like China. Within China are many, many, many people groups. Egypt has 70 of them inside of Egypt. Distinct people groups with their own ancestry, ethnicity, culture, language. From every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, which is clearly an event at the end of the age. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Every nation, people from every ethno-linguistic people group on the planet will be what? Saved. That hasn't happened yet. Right now, and you can go to joshuaproject.net, our research in the missions movement is very good now. Every, we know as a church what's happening. The technology is amazing. There are 17,291 people groups on the earth, and it's about 8 billion people. Of those 17,291, 7,253 are what we call unreached. They don't have a self-sustaining church. They don't have a rooted group of disciples that can sustain and grow. They're unreached. The witness is not there to reach the people group. 3.4 billion people. This reaching 
of every people group is so important to the Lord, Jesus will not come back until that happens. I'm sorry if I'm about to burst a bubble. It is not true with the New Testament church and with the New Testament scriptures that Jesus can just come back anytime. Clearly, they said, there are events that take place before his return. This is not unclear. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout, everybody say, whole world. That phrase world is inhabited world. Whole world means every place. He's not coming back until every geographic place with people on the planet has a gospel witness. As a testimony, everybody say all nations. Ethnos, whole world is every place. All nations is every people group. Every ethno-linguistic people group. And here it is. And then the end will come. He is not coming back until the world is fully evangelized and church planning has taken place among every people group on earth. Straight up, could that verse not be more clear? Let's go back to the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 32. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So what Joel does is he's talking about salvation. And he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when he means everyone, he, that gets clarified in the New Testament. Every people group on earth will have people saved. But he doesn't stop there. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem... There will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now listen to me. The first part talks about salvation for the nations, generally. The second part is salvation for Israel, specifically. In Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. Mount Zion, what is Mount Zion? It's the actual mountain upon which the city of Jerusalem is built. But all over the Bible, the, the phrase Mount Zion is used interchangeably with the phrase city of Jerusalem. Psalm 102.21, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. They're used interchangeably. Isaiah 62.1, for Zion's sake I will not keep silent, for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet. They're used interchangeably. But more than that, 
Jerusalem's the capital of Israel. It is the heart of the Jewish nation. So all over the scriptures, the phrase Jerusalem, the phrase Judah, the term Israel is often used interchangeably to refer to the Jewish people, to refer to the nation of Israel, often. Joel chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. When I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel. Judah, Jerusalem, Israel, all reference the Jewish people. Are you with me? So again, Joel 2.32, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Now, one other thing, and I didn't read this to you. You can look it up later. This section starts with Joel chapter 2, verse 28. When Peter gives his sermon in Acts 2, that's the verse he starts with. And in that verse, it has a reference to time. Because at the beginning of Joel chapter 2, Joel is prophesying about current events and a Babylonian invasion. But with verse 28, the prophecy switches from current events to future events somewhere down in the distant future. And it says in Joel 2, 28, and it shall come to pass afterward. When Peter quotes this verse in Acts 2, 17, Peter interprets it shall come to pass afterward as this, and in the last days it shall be. There are other time markers in this passage in Joel 2. In Joel 2, 29, in those days. Well, what days? Joel 2, 31, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So Joel's talking about the generation of the Lord's return, his second coming. <laughs> Just to make a point. <laughs> Why is it important? Joel shifts the focus to Israel from everyone to Jerusalem and Mount Zion in verse 32. Why is it important that Joel says salvation is coming to the Jewish people? And you guys know this with Bible teachers. Israel in the last days, it's so confusing. It's so controversial. Why? In the Old Testament, the Lord, not solely, the Lord does work through Gentiles in the Old Testament. But primarily, who does God work through in the Old Testament? Jews. Right? 
the nation of Israel. And then you get to the New Testament. God says, I am going to become a man. There's a lot of people groups he could have picked to become a man in. Which one did he pick? Jesus is a Jew. He's still a Jew. Jesus is going to be a Jew for eternity. Right? And then all of the 12 disciples and apostles were all Jewish. They're all Jewish. The writers of the New Testament. James, Jesus' brother, Jewish. Paul from the Sanhedrin, Jewish. They're all Jewish. Right? But what happened after the first generation? What happened later? Israel has almost completely denied Jesus. There's, yes, there is this messianic Jewish church, but it's tiny. It's a fraction of the Jewish people. As a almost whole, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel has denied Jesus. They have avoided, avo they've run from the kingdom of God, right? For 2,000 years, God has had this redemptive strategy and the Jewish people, the majority of them are like, we want no part of that, right? So because of that, observing church history, it would be easy to conclude something. Oh, the Jews, they are sidelined. I'm looking at church history, 2,000 years. The Jews are out of the equation. The Jews are out of the game permanently. It doesn't, all those promises about the land of Israel, the people of Israel, the salvation of Israel, the restoration of Israel, none of that gets literally fulfilled. Scholars have reached that conclusion. It's called replacement theology. Anything that you read about Israel or the Jews, the people or the place is now symbolic for the church. And it's really hard to do that. Have you ever read these prophecies? They are so specific. From the spring of En Gedi to this river, God says, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and this. It's really hard. God says, I'm going to rebuild this temple in Jerusalem. Can you get out your measuring stick? And this room is this big, and there's this many steps, and there's this many things, and, this, and Ezekiel's writing it all down. You really have to stretch to say none of that's literal anymore. Right? That people do. They bend scripture to unbelievable lengths. Some really famous Bible teachers do. 
But what did Paul say? I don't care what all the Bible teachers right now say. What did Paul say? Romans 11, verse 25. Paul's talking about the Jewish people and he's giving a warning to Gentile believers. Because even in the first century, they're starting to think about replacement theology and maybe Israel and the Jews are out of the equation completely. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. The NIV says this, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. So Paul's warning them to not be ignorant about the mystery of Israel, right? He says, there's this thing called the mystery of Israel. Don't be unaware and ignorant about it. But Paul also says something else about the church's relation to Israel. Paul says, don't be conceited. Don't be conceited. What mystery is he talking about? Romans 11, 25, 26. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. By the way, one of the reasons why we need a church among every ethnic group it's going to take glo a global prayer movement, a global evangelism movement with signs and wonders to help turn Israel back to Jesus. Because they're the hardest-hearted people you've ever met related to Jesus. Man, are they tough. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. And he is talking about Jews in Romans 9, 10, and 11. There is no debate or doubt about that. So what is Paul saying? He says, yes, Israel's been very unresponsive to the Holy Spirit. Quote, Romans eleven twenty five. Israel has experienced a hardening in what? In what? In part, not in full. Yes, the, have the Jews stumbled badly? Yeah. Crucifying God in the flesh is really a bad move. Killing all of his disciples, or many of them. Bad move, right? Have, but what did Paul say? They stumbled badly, yet Romans 11, 11. Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? What does Paul say? Not at all. They are not out of the game permanently. God has allowed a really intense measure of discipline on Israel. 
really intense. But at the same time, he's disciplining them. He is, he's protecting them from devastation. Right? Why? Because in the last of the last days, God is going to turn that backslidden nation back to himself. So what lies ahead for Israel? There's three words in Romans 11. Fullness, acceptance, salvation. Romans 11:12. But if their transgression means riches for the world, so they reject Jesus, kill Jesus, deny Jesus, and the gospel jumps to the Gentiles. And their lost means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their fullness bring? So what we've seen is their transgression and their loss. But Paul says there's something called their fullness that's coming. Romans eleven fifteen. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world... What will their acceptance, acceptance is acceptance of the Messiah, of Jesus, be but life from the dead? Romans eleven twenty six. in case it wasn't clear. And so all Israel will be saved. What does life from the dead mean? Scholars that look at that phrase there's really one conclusion. The resurrection itself. The return of Jesus. The rapture, the resurrection itself. Which was, happens when Jesus returns. So what's the mystery of Israel? Here it is. When Israel finally, and the leadership of Israel finally turns to the Lord and calls upon his name, and God is going to let the pressure cooker keep increasing on Israel. What, why? So they humble themselves and finally say, we give up. We call upon Yeshua, Mashiach. We need you. And when he hears that, when they are surrounded by the world's armies, when there is Holocaust raging, he's all, oh, that call, I'm going to answer that one. When Israel finally turns to the Lord and calls upon his name, then the Lord Jesus Christ will return to earth as a human being and he will literally march into the city of Jerusalem. And all those worldwide armies by some antichrist leader that thinks now we finally get to wipe out the Jews, youth, Pharaoh thought that, started killing Jewish babies and all that, and he experienced 10 plagues from God. The, the planet 
is going to experience plagues from God as Jesus is marching into Jerusalem. The, the book of Revelation calls them the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls. Thus, the repentance of the Jewish nation will usher in the final events of this age. That is the mystery of Israel. The Bible says this lots of different ways. I'll just give you two examples. Matthew 23, 37 to 34, Jesus looks at Jerusalem and starts weeping. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. But then he says this, for I tell you, who is the you? It's Israel. You will not see me again until when? Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's going to take off, ascend, and he's out of here. He says, you will not see me again until you say what? Until the leadership and people of Israel acknowledge that he is their Savior and Lord, Messiah. Acts chapter 3, verse 12 and verse 19 to 20. Then when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. What people? He says... Men of Israel. You have to put this sermon in context. Who is he addressing? Men of Israel. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and here it is, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. What has Peter said? He's speaking to the Jewish people. Repent so that Jesus can return. That's what it says. That's the mystery of Israel. So if you look back at the prophecy of Joel, this passage in Joel 2 ends with verse 32, which we just read. And verse 32 ends with in Jerusalem and Mount Zion in the Jewish people calling upon the Lord and being saved. After that, you get to Joel chapter 3. What is Joel chapter 3 about? It's a literal description of Jesus returning to earth and setting up his, remember, he's a man, right? Setting up his literal throne, his literal government in the literal city of Jerusalem. When Jesus returns, he's not going to grab a bunch of believers and go back to heaven. Nowhere, nowhere does it say that. He is going to march into the city of Jerusalem and set up a literal 
political, fully righteous kingdom of God reign on earth. And we will rule with him. Joel 2, 17 and 21. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy for the Lord dwells in Zion. That is talking about Jesus literally in the city of Jerusalem ruling and reigning. Jeremiah 3.17, at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. That's Jesus. Matthew 19.28, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, in the coming world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. That's literal. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's all very literal. Now, Israel, here's, what the, here's why people in the church get so upset. Israel's key role in God's plan does not mean that God loves Jews more than Iraqis, that God loves Jews more than the Lebanese, that God loves Jews more than the Egyptians. He doesn't. This has nothing to do with favoritism. It is solely an issue of faithfulness. God is faithful to his promises, and he gave specific promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Joshua, and David about their physical lineage. A land and a people. And God's like, I just keep my promises. And by the way, you might think, well, in Romans eleven twenty eight. But as far as election is concerned, they, they as the Jews, are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gift and his call are irrevocable. God's like, I promised Abraham and I'm, I'm like the best promise keeper ever. But you have to understand something, and this is a whole other teaching, that God's like, what I want the world to do is look at how faithful I am to Israel because that's the way I am with everybody. I'm going to find the smallest, most oppressed, most hard-hearted, most difficult people I can find and watch how faithful I am to them because if I'm faithful like that to them, how much more am I going to be faithful like that to you? It's not exclusion, it's an example. I hope you understand that. So what part do we play in God's strategy for Israel? Don't underestimate one of the church's highest assignments is to pray for Israel. 
It really matters. The spiritual war over this. Do you understand that Satan understands these verses better than we do? He's like, my gosh, if Israel repents, God will, Jesus will come back? So Satan says, I've got to kill every Jew. I have to kill every Jew. Right? Has he not tried? You understand the current situation? All over the world right now, in Washington, D.C., thousands and thousands were protesting. In Paris, thousands and thousands were protesting. In city after, what are they chanting? From the river to the sea. What does that chant mean? The extermination of the Jewish people. The wiping out of Israel. They were chanting yesterday, we don't want two state, we want 48. What does that mean in 1948 when those five Arab nations tried to wipe out Israel? Hamas wants the destruction of Jews. You cannot reach a political compromise with people that want your extermination. Because the Quran and Islam and Infitada wants the destruction of Jews. It is satanic. Because he's, Satan knows, oh my gosh, if they get their act together and repent, Jesus is coming back and then I'm over. I got to kill all the Jews. And the church says, well, this is a spiritual battle. Not just praying to, to pray for the salvation of Israel. We got to pray for the survival of the Jews. Right? Does this mean at all that God loves Palestinians less? Absolutely not. How much does God love Palestinians? If they were the only people group on the planet, he would have died on the cross for them. Right? Yes. This is not an issue of favoritism. This is an issue of God has a prophetic promise. Satan knows it and believes the only response is, I got to kill every Jew. And there is one group at the end of the age that stands with Israel. There is not one political nation on earth that is going to stand with Israel at the end of the age. How do we know that? Isaiah, in his prophecies, is very clear. Nobody's going to stand with Israel. What's the one group that's going to stand with Israel? The church. And in the place of prayer, we're going to shield Jews as we pray for their salvation and survival. That's why you have to understand how destructive it is, replacement theology. And all these Bible teachers, and I would love to name names right now, but I would feel bad if I do it. Very popular. That are bending themselves over backwards to wipe Jews out of God's plan. 
They're so lame because they have, they, it's like the Bible could not be more clear. We are to ask God to bless the people and their land, to protect them from the evil one, to give them a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. God, make them responsive to you to help them call on his name. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Romans 10, 1. Another step is to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you can lead people to the Lord without miracles, some places, you're not going to be leading the Jewish nation to Jesus without signs and wonders on a level of Moses and Elijah. You're not going to do it. Paul knew that. Because Paul said, man, if we have the power of the Holy Spirit, miracles, signs and wonders, we're going to make them jealous. Because they're going to say, now wait a minute, that's the kingdom that was for us. Those are the stuff our guys did. Romans 11, 13 to 14. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Magnify my ministry. That's talking about not just coming in words, but in power. Signs and wonders. In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Amen? Sometime in the future, churches are going to do their thing, but you, you, you never know. The reason why we have to understand God's plan, the reason why we have to properly interpret the scriptures is that will provide the motivation to maybe in our own homes when we have to hide Jews and protect them and pray for them and bless them. Because nobody, everyone else is going to be trying to kill them. I mean, did you, did you see what they were broadcasting on the sides of buildings in Cornell University? Google it. Literally asking for the death of Jews. This is an almost all of our top universities. They are literally, right now, in America, 2023, these guys, these top universities, they become the leaders of governments and corporations in a decade or two from now. Everywhere in the universities, they're not just asking for some kind of political compromise. They're asking for the end of Israel and the genocide of Jews. In our Congress right now are people that are repeating quotes that only mean the end of the Jewish people and of Israel. The church, this is not, this is something where we take a front stance on, not a, you know what I mean? At some point, as we get near the end of the age, and I, this is... Uh, at some point, to stand with Jesus is going to be standing with Israel and the Jewish people. 
to reject him is to reject them. Jesus is going to entwine it that closely together. Because when he said, when you've done it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me, there is clear scholarship on that passage. It's talking about standing with Jews in Israel. Whole other teaching. So we're going to go into a church-wide fast. We're going to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, and then we'll meet together, hopefully. if you e Make sure you got to get on our email list because that's the only way that we can get you. We're not going to use Zoom. It's called Google Meet. You don't need a password. On your email, you click on the link. Make sure that your audio and your video are on your computer or on your phone. You don't need a password. It just clicks on the link and you join. And we're going to pray together at 8 o'clock. And, and so probably tomorrow, we'll wait today for you, those of you to sign up. And tomorrow, we'll send the link out. And then you guys are going to pray Tuesday evening, right, at your house. And we'll get that in the email too. Esther, chapter, trying to wipe out Jews has been happening a lot over the course of human history. In the book of Esther, they, they made a Persian law. Let's just kill all the Jews. Literally all of them. Esther chapter 4, 13 to 16. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I think that matters. I think that means something for us now. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. We're going to fast. One of the things we're going to fast for is for the repentance and salvation of Israel. In my own personal prayer time, whatever else I'm praying for, I always add that in my prayer time. Lord, I pray for the Jewish people. I pray for the synagogue in Yorba Linda. I ask that you would take away their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I ask that you'd make them responsive to you. I pray that all the time. Only takes a few seconds. But it matters when it's being heard by lots of people. So we're going to cry out for Israel. I want you to pray for your Belinda. I want you to pray for our city and our county. Jesus Revolution. That whole thing got launched right down there in Costa Mesa, baptizing them in Laguna, right? Why not ask God to do it again? And we're going to pray for our church. The Lord wants to fill these seats. He wants to fill these bleachers. He wants you to have people that you can disciple and raise up. You may say, well, how do we get from here to there? Right now, I'm just like, let's just cry out to God. I don't really know, actually. Let's just cry out to God. 
So we're going to fast from Monday to Wednesday this week, November 6 to 8. You can ask the Lord. I, I always encourage you, maybe just stretch yourself a little bit. Maybe there are a couple of you here where you, it's just, you just need to drink water and maybe coffee and tea only. You might say, well, I've never done that before, but ask the Lord if there's grace for that. It doesn't mean it won't be hard. Grace doesn't mean things are easy. Grace means the Lord's going to get you through it. Hello? For some of you, it might just be, okay, I'm going to do only vegetables. Some of you, the Lord might lead you in a different way. That's between you and Jesus, right? And then we're going to pray together online. Email info at vineyardyourbelinda.com and and you're going to get you the link. And we're going to just spend an hour on Wednesday and just say, one is, Lord, what what did you say to us through this fast? And then we're going to pray together and uh, as we get ready to eat Thursday morning. (laughs) Amen. I really think this is a great time to take communion, which is all about salvation. So why don't you guys come on up and Mike and Dee and and whoever else is going to serve. Let me give you guys this microphone. It's on? You can hear me. Okay, great. Um, Also, they're coming. All right. So, really to come back to what Sam was saying, you know, about the Jews. It's about the Jews. And communion comes based upon the remembrance of coming out of Egypt and the Passover. And at Passover is when Jesus... Uh, calls to remembrance his death and also I want to remind us of his resurrection and so at that time he called his disciples together they celebrated Passover together and then he uh, took the bread and the wine and put a new uh, message to that because it's a new uh, uh, commitment uh, of us a, a relationship of us with Jesus uh, in making it a memory, a remembrance of his death and of his resurrection. And as uh, it, it's a new covenant. And uh, so at the Passover, there was a, a sacrificial lamb. And Jesus is the lamb of God to connect those two. And Jesus is sacrificed for us. And he calls us together to say that uh, we, we should remember his sacrifice through the bread and the wine that were uh, offered up at that time. And so he says, as they were eating together, this is Jesus out of Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after the blessing, he broke it. He gave it to the disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink all of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So as we celebrate this together, 
We're to remember Jesus, to remember his sacrifice, the Lamb of God, for our sins. So his blood covers our sins, and his body is broken for us. So we would look to him to remember him uh, in his sacrifice and of this new covenant as we do this together. So I'm going to pray here in just a second. I'm going to ask you to come forward. We're going to give you the elements. And then I'm going to ask you to sit down, and, and we'll all partake together. And I do this because it's a family thing, right? He had, uh, at the Passover, he had all of his uh, disciples together. And we're all together. We're all together celebrating his death because of what it means to us. But we're also remembering the empty tomb and his resurrection. So uh, let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful for the sacrifice that you made for us. The sacrifice of your body and giving it, but also in the resurrection that you bring and the life that you bring with that. We come in remembrance of you, and we ask, Lord, that you'd be in our midst and speak to us about uh, what you have for us in this remembrance and in this new covenant. In Jesus' name. So if you would come forward. Okay, come up the middle. Thank good idea.
So as we partake together as the family of God in this church, we remember Jesus for uh, his body and blood given for us for the forgiveness of sins and for the, uh, the healing of our bodies through his broken body. Let us partake together. So I, uh, I pronounce forgiveness over all of you in the name of Jesus. And I pray that if you have needs for healing or touches from the Lord, that you come forward and we'll pray for you. Or you can ask someone next to you to receive prayer. But I'm going to close in prayer and you're uh, open to come to receive prayer or to leave. Jesus, we are thankful for all that you've given for us, the sacrifice that you made for us. And we receive your forgiveness, we've received your love, and we receive all that you have for us. And I ask, Lord, that you'd bless these, uh, your believers, that you would watch over them as they go, you'd remind them of you and of Israel. In Jesus' name, amen.